This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you take your Bibles and would you turn with me to John chapter 16? I'm going to start reading at verse 4b. I'm going to read through the rest of John chapter 16. Let's remember that this is God's word. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you'll see me no longer, and again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again in a little while and you will see me truly truly I say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy when a woman is giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she's delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world so also you have sorrow now But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. 
For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the 1990s, there was a Christian magazine for teens that published a series of articles that became a series of books. And each one of the articles that became books, the protagonist would travel back in time to solve various problems, each demonstrating the power of faith in God. And as the series reached its conclusion, the most powerful time travel took place wherein the hero of the story was able to go back to the time of the Lord Jesus and experience his healing. This trip for this time traveling protagonist took him to the time of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And as the series reached its conclusion, the faith of this main character was cemented through this trip and encounter with Jesus and the faith of all of the scientists who had established this time travel system was established and secure because they had seen Jesus. And one subtle message of the series contained within the book that seemed to resonate with a lot of readers was this. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be best? Wouldn't it be the best sort of thing? If we were able to actually travel to the time of Jesus, to be with him, to experience him personally, wouldn't that be better than what we have right now with all of this absence and all of this distance that we experience? Jesus isn't with us in the flesh right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. Wouldn't it be better if we could see him in the flesh? Jesus here in John chapter 16 is talking to his disciples and he tells them that it's actually better for them that he goes away. It's actually better for them that he be absent from them. It's actually better for them that he would be in glory at the right hand of the Father than be physically present with him. And that's something that has baffled so many Christians because doesn't it seem like it would be so much better if we could just be with him physically present? How in the world could it be that it's actually better that Jesus goes away from his disciples? How are we supposed to understand that? That difficult teaching of the Lord Jesus is actually, it's like, it's more difficult because the language that Jesus uses here is some of the most difficult to understand in the whole gospel of John. It's tough to understand what he's getting at. There's a lot of back and forths that don't really make sense upon first reading. Or, I have to tell you, second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth reading. This is a tough section of scripture to understand. Jesus is saying that he's going to leave his disciples, that it's going to create sorrow. And for all of us who live today and haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, there's a sense of loss that Jesus is not physically present with us. It would be great. I would love if Jesus were here in person in this worship service and I could just hand over the pulpit to him and we could listen to the sermon that he preached. It seems like that would be so much better. And, and if, knowing that he is 
you know, still physically present, but at the right hand of the Father, I sense that distance whenever I conceive of all of this. But Jesus promises to return. And while he does, uh, while he promises that for the time being, he's away from us. And, and, and yet the sorrow that that creates for the disciples and for us is beneficial because Jesus promises something that's glorious. It's wonderful. Actually, two things that are wonderful. The first thing that he promises in this passage is that because he's going away, he is going to send a helper. And this is actually what makes it so that it's for the disciples' benefit and for our benefit, for the church's benefit, that Jesus is away from us for right now. And he promises a second thing, that he's going to come back. He's going to return. And that when that happens, our joy will have no end. So in this world of trouble, we can have peace. So, because Jesus has sent the Spirit and will return in this world of trouble, we can have peace. Here are the three points for us this morning. First, a helper. Second, unending joy. And the last one is peace in trouble. So let's jump into this. We begin with a helper. Again, like I said at the very beginning, there's a lot that's confusing in this passage. And the first thing that's confusing is how Jesus begins in verse 5. Let me read it for us again. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, this is confusing, and let me explain to you why it's confusing. If you have your Bibles open, would you just turn back with me to John chapter 13, verse 36? Actually, turn there with me, because I want for you to see this. Verse 5 of chapter 16, which we just read, says, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But let's take a look at John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Okay, that's confusing, right? Peter said literally that thing to him. And now Jesus is saying, none of you said, where are you going? And it's like, Jesus, don't you remember John 13, 36? It just, you know, it's just before this one. What is the deal here? How can you say nobody said this? Peter literally said this. And you wonder, you know, there actually is a lot of speculation in some of the commentaries. They're like, why did John put that there? I mean, Peter so obviously just asked, where are you going? Why did John then say that Jesus said, no one asks you, where am I going? All right, so it's confusing. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe. Focusing on the Gospel of John, we pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's one theory for what this means. And this seems to me to be correct. It seems to me to be the most reasonable. It's not original to me. But this is the best explanation of all of it that I, that I uh, have encountered. Say you're really enjoying a time with a group of people and someone is in the group and you're loving this person's presence in the group and that person, you know, maybe you've had dinner, you're in the midst of great conversation or you're even playing a game or something like that. You're just loving the time together and one person who's a key part of the group gets up and makes like they're going to leave the house and go and you say to them, hey, where are you going? 
Not because you care necessarily where they're going, but because you're suggesting that they shouldn't leave, but they should stick around longer. We're having such a great time. What are you doing getting up and walking away? Where are you going? Now, you're not, you're not actually like, explain to me where you're heading. I'm very interested in figuring out where you're going. You're suggesting through your words that that person shouldn't leave. They should sit back down and continue this great time of fellowship or celebration together. Now, what Jesus may be saying here is, all right, so Peter, what you said was meant to just tell me that you think I should stick around longer, but none of you really wants to investigate what it is that I'm about to do. None of you is really interested in what's just about to happen. And so it may be that what Jesus is saying is they know that he's planning to leave and they've been suggesting that he stays, but they don't really want to hear about the cross. And they don't really want to hear about a prolonged absence from him as he's in glory. Where are you going, man? Stay, stay, is all they can manage. Now, if this is what Jesus is getting at, what what he is putting his finger on is so often the attitude of our hearts. I want Jesus to be here with me. I've already said it. I would prefer for him to be preaching this morning. I want his present benefits Not his suffering, not his death, not his cross, not a hope for the future, as much as sometimes I want some sustenance in the present, in the present. But the place that Jesus is going is the cross, a place that's going to drive away almost all of the 12, one through betrayal, one through denial, nine through fear. But the cross, all of its suffering, All of its pain, all of its loss is the hope of your life. It's the only place where you can truly hope to find yourself. It's the only location where your sin can be forgiven. And today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to be reminded again, this cross, which we so often would want to avoid, it's in fact the central thing that we need because it's where our sins are forgiven. But Jesus is also going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he says that this reality that the disciples know he's going to be parted from them is creating sorrow, but it's for the benefit of the disciples. And Jesus explains why, because he's going to send the helper, because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. It's actually recorded for us in verses 8 through 11. And here the confusion continues again. Because verses 8 through 11 are, in my mind, the most confusing verses in the Gospel of John. Let me quote D.A. Carson. The Greek of these four verses is so compressed it is difficult to decide what they mean. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ.
Praise the Lord that others are confused by certain sections of scripture that are also, to me, confusing. Because maybe you read that and you're like, what is Jesus saying? I mean, just there's some repetition that is challenging to get at. Let me try to compress it for you. And we can, you know, talk later if you want me to talk about it for an hour or whatever. Let me try to unspool it. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent by Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is active in the world now because he was sent by Christ Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and he shows that even religious acts of observance apart from Jesus can't save. And he demonstrates the fact that the cross has defeated the devil and that all those who stand with the devil will also experience the negative Judgment. So those who you know, are, are following the ways of the world or the ways of the devil can have this deep uncertainty about them and the way that they engage with the world. And it's because, it's because, well, they know because the spirit is convicting them that he's going to experience judgment. The devil will and all those who stand along with him. And as the Holy Spirit does this, he will guide the followers of the Lord Jesus in the truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And it's because Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Reformed have always appreciated this and highlighted the power of the ascension. In the Heidelberg Catechism, there are more questions on the ascension than any other aspect of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. I want to read for you just one of them that highlights the potency of the ascension and gives to us comfort. The question in question and answer 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism is this. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he's our advocate in heaven in the presence of his father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, to himself. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge by the spirit's power. We seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. And so this reality that it's better for us that Jesus has ascended into heaven is something that's picked up by the Holy Catechism and proclaimed. It really is better because it means that we have the Holy Spirit. And it means the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin so that when the gospel message goes out, they will hear it and respond to it and turn and be saved. The Holy Spirit is demonstrating to our own consciences and the conscience of the world that Jesus wins and that he will win and that following anything else leads to judgment. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that there is no righteousness to be found apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get this because Jesus died and rose and ascended and now we have the Holy Spirit. That's why it's better. And then he talks about unending joy. And the disciples here, as things continue, ask the question that I least expect them to ask. All right? So Jesus has said a lot of things that are confusing and dense and difficult to understand. And what do the disciples ask in response to all of this? What do you mean by a little while, Jesus? What? All right. Here's what I would have asked before I asked about a little while. All right, why, why do you say none of us ask you where you're going? Who is this helper? What does this convicting of sin mean? What does it mean that you're going to the Father and how this relates to judgment? What do you mean by the ruler of the world? 
Instead, they're like, hey, what do you mean by a little while? I don't understand why that was the thing that they felt that they really needed to press into. But that's the question. And so Jesus knows that they're asking questions. And, and he says, all right, hey, here's what's going to happen. I, it is in a little bit, I'm going to be gone. And you'll be sad. And that makes a ton of sense. But then, guess what? I'm coming back. It's going to be a little while, and then I'm going to come back. And here's the good news, disciples. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And no one will take your joy from you. Isn't that beautiful? Right now in this world that is filled with change and decay in all around that I see. I'm glad today for the hope of unending joy. Any person that's lived long enough in this world recognizes all of the ways that this world can harm and scar us. Anyone who has lived any length of time in this world recognizes all of the pain that can come from cruelty or all of the pain that can come from sickness or all of the sorrow that comes from loss, all of the difficulty that comes from death. We realize that in this world that's filled with so much sorrow and hardship and pain, joy can be hard to come by. Jesus today has a word from us. It's only going to be a little bit longer. You can hold on. It's only going to be a little bit longer. And then no one, no one will ever take your joy from you. Why? Because Jesus will be with us and we will be with him. As the Bible comes to a conclusion in the book of Revelation, we're told two things together. There's an announcement. Now the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them forever and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. The joy that we have when Christ Jesus returns is a joy that will not, that cannot ever be snatched from us again. And it's going to happen in a little while. We can hold on long enough because Jesus promises us in just a little while, our joy will not end. Now hearing that, you know what I want to ask? Well, Jesus, what do you mean by a little while? (laughs) Because it feels like a long time. What do you mean by a little while? He's going to be back. And your joy will never end. That theme of joy in the midst of sorrow or enduring joy is carried along to the end of all of this as Jesus talks about the world. He talks about how he's going to leave his disciples, that they are going to be filled with sorrow, but that the world is actually going to rejoice when Jesus leaves. The world does not know Jesus. They don't know Who he is, he's going to articulate that more in John chapter 17. He talks about it in John 16 verse 3 that they don't, the world doesn't know him because they don't know the father and therefore when Jesus leaves, those who don't belong to him actually rejoice that he's gone. And then he highlights again the difficulty of this passing away world. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble and I'm thankful for the strong words of Jesus here. This is not, uh, this is not, you know, like hallmark card comfort here. 
It's not Jesus giving his uh, disciples a little card that says, don't worry because every rain cloud also brings a rainbow or something like that. It's not, you know, it's not like simplistic, syrupy, sweet encouragement. It's this, it's saying, hey, I'm going to go and, and all of the like forces of, of power and control in this world are going to rejoice in it. You're going to be sad. You're going to experience the hardship of distance from me. It's going to be better because the spirit is going to be in the world convicting of sin and judgment and righteousness. It's going to be better, but it's going to be hard. And what you need to know as I leave is that this world, since it is not your home, is going to all of the time bump up against you in very troubling ways in this world. You're going to have tribulation as you walk through this world that is right now stained with sin. You're going to experience all manner of loss and pain and difficulty. And you won't get through it unscathed. It's going to be actually tribulation. But take heart. Jesus says, because I win. Take heart, Jesus says, because I win. But what I want to leave for you today are the words of Jesus in the midst of all the hardship and the pain and the loss. In a little while, he's going to be back. And guess what? Take heart. Jesus wins. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.